Hello, welcome back to Oh Sweet Music. This is our ninth episode of the podcast where every Wednesday we delve into a song inspired by an event in music history that occurred on the day the podcast is released. So today we're heading back to 1977. So get out your sparkly flares and basically just find the most glamorous, extreme, avant-garde 70s outfit that you can because we're heading back to the most famous club probably of all time and well done if you've already guessed it. We're heading back to Studio 54 where on the 26th of April 1977, 46 years ago today, it opened for business for the first time on 54th Street in New York City. And the song we'll be delving into today is You Make Me Feel Mighty Real by Sylvester. One of the biggest songs of this period. And if I had to choose one song personally to dance to in Studio 54 in the 70s, it would have to be this one. So we're going with a bit of Sylvester today. When I was young, I was always really fascinated with Studio 54. I still am, to be honest. And I think it's just because of, you know, the music, the fashion... I was really drawn to this period and all of the characters in that world. And I do think before delving into the kind of nitty gritty of You Make Me Feel Mighty Real, we do need to do a kind of quick deep dive into the history of Studio 54. I think it would be rude not to. So Studio 54 is probably the most famous club of all time. And if you can think of a more famous club, then let me know and I will stand corrected. But it has kind of become the epitome of that 70s disco scene, this famous spot of, you know, hedonism, avant-garde, grand partying, and it's crazy celebrity guest list that it had on the roster. I mean, Donald Trump and Ivana Trump actually attended the opening 46 years ago today, and they were probably one of the lesser important (laughs) of the celebrities on the guest list. And I mean, anyone who says they wouldn't have wanted to go for at least one night of partying in Studio 54, I think is a liar. But again, if you really believe that you wouldn't want to do that, then let me know. And again, I will stand corrected, although I might not believe you. The club was opened in 1977, like I said, in a building that used to be a CBS TV studio. And it was opened by co-owners Ian Schrager and Steve Rubel. And a lot of people think that the club kind of started on dodgy beginnings, which eventually did catch up with Stragger and Rubel, but more on that later. Um, There's lots of rumours about kind of mafia loans to start the club and things like that, but we'll never truly know if any of that is true. It's never been revealed. Um, But regardless of all the kind of darker things that might have gone on, who cares about that? It's more about, you know, the fun and the music and the crazy fashion and all of the good stuff. And Steve Rubel was gay and the club was a kind of hotspot for anyone who was a member of the LGBT community um, to just be free and be themselves at a time where homophobia was obviously very rife outside the walls of the club. So it was just this kind of hub of freedom and the ability to just be who you want to be, um, which made it a kind of spot of joy for a lot of people in the 70s. So much so that it could be really impossible to get in for some people and there didn't seem to be any kind of specific dress code or any reason or rhyme rhyme or reason um, to choosing who was allowed entry. 
And Steve Rubel apparently said that he just saw it as casting a play every night. And so it was just about getting the kind of perfect mix of people each night into the club. So naturally, the doorman of Studio 54 became some of the most powerful people in New York at the time, which is quite a big responsibility. And one of the doormen who spoke about his experiences later, Mark Benek, was only 19 when he was working on the door of the club. So that's a lot of, you know, important responsibility, depending on how you look at it for a guy who's a teenager. Um, and he later said that people would offer him, you know, sex, thousands of dollars, even threaten him with violence, all to get into the club. So he must have made some really, really good tips working on the door. And someone even died in the air vent into the club and was found in their black tie attire because he tried to sneak into the club via the air vent, got stuck, no one knew he was there. I mean, that's a horrendous way to die, but it just shows how desperate people were to get into Studio 54 at the time and how exclusive it was. And that was obviously because it was this, you know, spot of complete hedonism and pleasure and fun in a time that was possibly a bit kind of restricted. I mean, don't get me wrong, obviously the 60s and 70s were a lot more um, hedonistic and free than, say, like the 40s and 50s, but at a time where the world was very homophobic and... You know, it was it was a place where people could be themselves. And as with everything that's totally based on hedonism and pleasure, there were a lot of drugs flying about the club, obviously. And to dodge the strict alcohol rules, Studio 54 never had a permanent liquor licence and they just applied for temporary ones every day until they were eventually told they weren't allowed to sell alcohol anymore. So they just put up signs apologising for this. And, I mean, you think about if that happened in most clubs nowadays no one would go um but obviously no one really cared because no one was drinking anyway everyone was just taking drugs so the club was still as busy as ever and no one cared and i mean the huge drug culture was made pretty obvious there was a huge moon with a face above the dance floor that had a cocaine spoon moving to and from its nose so not very subtle but you know fair enough it did eventually catch up with him though um, and even Steve Rubel, the owner, used to walk around wearing this padded coat just full of drugs to give to celebrities for free to keep them coming back to the club, which does explain a lot of the wild stuff that used to go on both inside and outside of the club. And apparently it used to get even quite wild just in the queue to get into the club. There's one story about a doctor who brought a huge box of quaaludes, which were one of the kind of it drugs of the 70s, there were prescription drugs with hypnotic effects and were known as panty droppers, which is obviously very classy. But this doctor handed out these quaaludes in the queue to kind of a few dozen people. Um, and 20 minutes later, they were all having basically a big orgy in the queue. So if that's what was happening outside the club, you can only imagine what was happening inside. And the fact that there was a sex pit and an underground VIP section with mattresses tells you all you need to know, really. And I mean, if you've seen um, the recent Damien Chazelle film Babylon, it's probably not far off of the kind of opening scenes of that film. But even though these things, you know, occurred and existed, all the really sexual side of Studio 54, I don't think that's really what the club was about. And the disco, the music, the freedom... The fashion is more what the kind of epitome of Studio 4, Studio 4, Studio 54 is for me. But obviously there was a lot of crazy stuff that went on in the club. 
And if I talked about them all, then this episode would be years long. But there's two fun and interesting to not even mention. So I'll go through a couple just, you know, because. Um, So first, of course, probably the most famous moment and famous photo from Studio 54 is Bianca Jagger on the white horse. So Rubel and Strager made this happen as a birthday surprise for Bianca Jagger, Mick Jagger's wife at the time. And they had this white horse come in and had a naked man covered in glitter leader on the horse around the dance floor, which obviously isn't very PC from an animal rights standpoint. But if I'm honest, that photo is one of the most regal things I've ever seen, to be honest. And also when they heard that Dolly Parton was in New York, they turned the whole club into a farm with like live farm animals running about. Imagine if you saw horses, donkeys, chickens all running about in a club that you would, you know, attend at the weekend. It's just insane, but yeah. And they did have all of those three animals running about the club. Again, probably a lot of, you know, big animal rights advocates won't be too impressed with this, but it is quite a funny story. And apparently Dolly Parton wasn't impressed either. So a lot of craziness and wildness obviously went on in Studio 54. And despite this, the club closed in 1980, so it was actually only open for a few years. There was a lot of illegal stuff going on, and eventually it all caught up with the owners, and Rubel and Schrager were arrested for tax evasion and drugs-related charges, unsurprisingly. Um, I mean, this wasn't hard because they weren't exactly criminal masterminds, and they recorded their tax evasion very clearly in their books and their records, and recorded how much cocaine they were selling under party favours. I'm doing that with quotation marks, um, which obviously isn't very well hidden and is quite obvious, so not the smartest choices from then there. But they sold out other competitor club owners to reduce their jail time, and so they only got three and a half years in prison. I say that like that's nothing, but I mean, if you're in a prison cell, I I imagine that three and a half years doesn't zoom round the clock to be fair um, but when they were sentenced they threw a huge big glass party in Studio 54 Diana Ross performed, Liza Minnelli performed and it apparently really marked the end of an era of this kind of amazing disco hub and I suppose that degree of hedonism and fun can never last too long and all things of that nature do naturally come to an end at some point But its legacy does live on. It is, you know, such an amazing, crazy time um, to look back on. And in 1989, Steve Rubel died of age-related complications, which is really, really sad. And Schrager is still alive and he's now a successful entrepreneur in hotels. So good for him. I wonder if he's still dodgy. You know, probably, but still good for him. If you're interested in Studio 54 and you want to hear more about it, because there is so much to to learn um, and so much interesting stuff in there, there's a really, really great documentary um, that I saw in 2018 at the cinema. It's just called Studio 54, directed by Matt Turaner, I believe his name. Um, but that's really worth a watch. It delves into the full history of when the club first opened to when it closed and it has so much great footage from the club and it centres around interviews with Schrager. So it's a really good listen and it's kind of first-hand account from him, which is really good. So I'd recommend watching that. 
Um, there's also a 1998 feature film about the club called 54 that I haven't seen, but I do want to watch. So I'll watch that soon and report back on a later episode on how I found it. Um, but if you've seen it, then let me know if it's good and if it's worth a watch. But yeah, even though the success of Studio 54 was short-lived, its legacy does truly live on and it's now one of the most famous eras and movements of all time. And in true Oh Sweet Music style, we obviously have to delve into a song inspired by today's event. And if I can think of any song that I would want to live it up and dance to in Studio 54 with the likes of Diana Ross, Mick Jagger... It would have to be You Make Me Feel Mighty Real by Sylvester. Now, if you're a loyal listener, then you'll know that every episode we kind of dissect the song and its lyrics. But to me, this song is less about the lyrics and more about the kind of feeling of the song. It's probably one of the best songs in disco and one of the best songs of all time, to be honest. And you need to just pause this episode here, pause the episode and go and listen to the song now. You can't help but want to dance when you hear it. It's just the perfect song to listen to, especially if you're going out, you're getting ready, you want to get in the mood. It's just such a great song. Um, The song was written and sung by Sylvester, who had his only mainstream hit with You Make Me Feel Mighty Real, but he was such a huge figure in the disco movement. He was this gender-bending disco powerhouse, and looking back, he was so, so ahead of his time. I won't go too much into his life, but um, Sylvester James, as he was born, grew up singing gospel music in a Pentecostal church in LA. And his mum, who was a devout member of this church, didn't accept him, didn't accept his sexuality, which sadly is a story that we see too often. So in his early 20s, he moved to San Francisco and from there he just kept growing into the disco icon he is today, really. To me, this song is just about being free, really. Being free in yourself, being free on the dance floor, being free in your desires, who you fall in love with, who you connect with. And it's just such a fun song and it's just filled with complete joy. And it's just perfect for Studio 54 and the kind of amazing, fun energy that it gives off. And also, yeah, the, the lyrics just being about freedom, really. And I think for a lot of people in the gay or LGBT community in the 70s especially which was obviously a more homophobic time this song probably felt like some light in a time of darkness which is why it's such a well-known gay anthem today and even after the song came out Sylvester raised a lot of awareness for the AIDS epidemic at the time he played a lot of benefit shows spread messages of safe sex at his gigs things like that and very sadly less than 10 years after the song was released Sylvester's husband sadly passed away due to AIDS complications and Sylvester passed away not long after him at only 41, which is so, so heartbreaking. Um, But the advancements in both AIDS healthcare that's now available and even just the stigma that started to kind of break down surrounding AIDS and HIV is amazing. And it's really just down to brave people like him who spoke out when it wasn't as easy to do so. But yeah, Sylvester's legacy just lives on through his music, especially in songs like You Make Me Feel Mighty Real. And it just totally defines disco and really joy for me, to be honest. But with that, I'll end the episode there. I could talk about Studio 54 and Sylvester forever, but I'll spare you the punishment of that and I'll wrap things up. Um, As always, I hope you enjoyed the episode. 
please let me know what you thought, even if it's constructive criticism, whether you guys want to hear less detail, more detail, whatever. And if you've got any requests for any songs, genres, eras, artists, bands, then just send us a wee email at osweetmusicrequests at hotmail.com. That's osweetmusicrequests at hotmail.com. All lowercase, no exclamation mark. Or you can drop us a wee message on Instagram and be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And after all of that, if you can still be bothered, then give us a wee review wherever you listen to your podcasts. But other than that, I'll see you next Wednesday. Tune in then. Have a lovely week. Goodbye.